So 299 of No Challenges Remaining, I'm Ben Rothenberg, joined for the first time in a while by Courtney Nguyen on the program. Courtney, nice to have you here as we reach another precipice. At some point, you and I are going to have to have the difficult discussion as to whether or not I even qualify as a co-host of No Challenges <laughs> Remaining anymore. It's getting pretty dicey. <laughs> I mean, look, like there's But I'm happy people... to be here, but, you know, I just wanted to let people know I'm aware that my absence is a thing. And I'm aware of how much more people like Courtney than me. (laughs) That's not true. Your comments all make it clear overtly (laughs) and in the subtext that like, oh, we miss Courtney so much. And we, I know, I know it's, it's fine. It's fine. People miss what they, you know, absence makes the heart grow fonder. It doesn't mean that they don't love you, Benjamin. You are. I'm not saying they don't. And I'm not saying they shouldn't because I'm fantastic, but you're better. It It is what it is. It is what it is. You know, can't argue with it. It's just, it's it's math. It's flattering. Flattering. Yeah. Well, it's nice to have you here. We just spent the past weeks covering the Miami Open in Miami Gardens, a tournament which notably was won by Ash Barty, the WTA number one. Let's talk, Courtney, start this show about Ash Barty, who is, I think, I was saying we were sort of in our pre-taping, normally number one player winning a tournament wouldn't feel like that momentous of a thing that kind of feels like, oh, kind of doing what we're supposed to do. Things follow, you know, expected order. But this felt this felt big for for Ash Barty. Well, you you're nodding along. People can't see that, but you're nodding. Why do you why do you think it felt big for Ash Barty? It did. I suppose that it's taken me about 48 hours to kind of realize it, I guess, how significant um, the victory was for Barty. And you know, in a lot of ways, it's um, I felt like her playing the final against Bianca and her movement through the tournament in Miami, you know, alongside Bianca was a really interesting. It set up a really interesting kind of discussion point because of how much of this of the of like the two sides of the same coin. I feel like those two are in so far as, you know, Bianca, you know, and we'll talk more about her in a little bit later, but just in reference to to the discussion of Ash, Bianca kind of takes up the oxygen in the room. Um, she commands the the spotlight. Every match is about her, you know, like Bianca is the protagonist of the story at all times. And, and she draws you in and she's so emotional on court and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And, and it, it makes for compelling watching. Um, and obviously it, she's incredibly skilled. Ash is just as skilled. She plays in a lot of ways, a, a, you know, at least the same brand of tennis, which is all court variety, you know, can play with a little bit more power, can run, you know, that sort of thing. Great problem solver, all of that. But it's so funny because when Ash plays, because she is so kind of controlled and even keeled generally on court and also just off court, (laughs) you know, in the way that she talks about her tennis and everything is very no worries. Everything is very, you know, the sun comes up tomorrow, you know, no big deal, even though you know that she's taken heartbreaking losses and you know that she's sitting there heartbroken in front of you. There's still this kind of, um, 
air of of control um of of perspective and so to watch them kind of go through it together was it made me really spend two weeks during the Miami tournament really thinking about Ash probably more than I probably have I think in any of her title runs or even during her breakout 2019 season and because it just kind of happened and you saw the tennis in 2019 and how good she is and it just made sense you're like, oh, yeah, OK, like, you know, Ash is doing these things, of course. I mean, we've always known Ash is this prodigious talent and, you know, Wimbledon champion and juniors and when she was 16 years old and all these all these things. And we were still kind of, I think, in 2019, writing the, the Barty story that was related to the fact that she had left the sport and had come back. That was the narrative of 2019. In 2021, the narrative is very different. It's very much started from day one of where are you? What are you about? You're number one, but are you? All of the whispers and the chatter that surrounded her. So yeah, that's a long ramble because I have a lot of kind of completely un um, worked out thoughts about ash <laughs> that i'm still kind of working through so you'll have to bear with me but, but we're here to work um, them out that's fine yes exactly we're going to talk it through but um but i just think that that yes there's a lot of there's a good argument to be made that what barty did in miami in winning miami in the manner in which she won miami given the circumstances surrounding her arrival in miami um really does make it probably one of the most significant if not the most significant a uh, title that she is one of the 10 that she's won in her career, which is saying a lot for a a number one and, and Grand Slam champion. But I think it might be true. I think Miami really might be the most important win of her career. And we will talk about why. But I'll turn it over to you, Ben, because I've been rambling. Yeah, no, I think it's good to talk about this sort of narrative of Ash in 2019. You're right. The storyline, when people are still kind of getting to know Ash on some level, and I say that it was about the comeback and the leaving the sport and going to cricket and how she had found sort of a better headspace to be in in 2019 in this sort of set next chapter for in that in that chapter of her career and i really think it's worth pausing on just like how steep her ascent was i had a stat that i did when i did a profile of her an interview with her before wimbledon of that year when she had just gotten the number one ranking um her times and i found i looked up and found that she had spent or maybe kevin fisher helped or something i forget exactly but i think i I think I looked at myself. Uh, let's give Kevin credit. Why not? Um, that Ash had spent fewer weeks in the top 10 than anyone who had ever previous to reach a number one of anyone in tour history. And I think it was by a lot. Like yep. she was not top 10 before she won Miami 2019. Like she was out of the top 10. And then by Wimbledon, she's number one. I mean, that's kind of crazy. And she did. She won two more titles in that intervening time. Obviously, one of them was the French Open. Um, which is a lot of points and a lot of a lot of you know clout too for becoming a Grand Slam champion, and then she won Birmingham uh, to clinch it. But I also think that I remember still sort of processing it as we were sitting recording an episode of the podcast. I believe it was in it was in Epernay was the town we were in. Oh yeah! Oh my gosh! So yes. We so we were in Epernay after going to see the U.S. women uh, shellac Highland. <laughs> In the uh, fourteen nothing, thirteen nothing, fourteen nothing, something like that in the women's World Cup, still will defend that result heartily if anyone wants me to. <laughs> um, USA, USA, USA. But in Reims, reflecting then, and I hadn't really thought it at the time, but like, wow, I thought this French Open was terrible. 
<laughs> like just as an as on-court thing, I thought it was a really weak product. And I think that a lot of, and I think that for me, it's sort of, and maybe other people, even if they didn't think it, because Ash was so well thought of and so beloved and just popular and well-liked and affable and plays really attractive tennis and had a really good story and just a nice person. But the actual like moments to get there, the sort of one shining moments to use this, that term on the, on the March Madness finale day was, as we record this, was pretty like anticlimactic in a lot of ways. And that final against Vondrosheva that she won was, I think, the worst Grand Slam final of the decade on the women's side. Probably pretty comfortably. It was just not a compelling match. It's not a good match. No one's ever rewatched that match willingly. It's just it's just not it was not a nice piece of tennis. Through no fault of Ashes. Ashes left standing as the one left in this draw of 128, and that's all you're supposed to do to win the tournament. But the final against Vondrosheva, I think, was an anti-climax kind of dud. The semifinal against Anisimova was weird and sort of compelling, but weird. And also, it's Anisimova in a semi, which is really unexpected too. And so, and I think I think she she beat Kennan, which is when the age as well, because Kennan obviously went on to do big things. She beat Kennan, who had beaten Serena, and she beat Madison Keys in the two rounds before that, I believe. But not like there was no like statement win. It's just kind of it ended, and it was a bunch of rain delays and stuff. It ended, and it was the men's semis gotten pushed on the same day as the final and stuff. So it just it just was a kind of a weird side that that Barty win. It didn't feel satisfying and then she loses u.s open she loses at uh semis of australia which is a pretty solid run loses to Kennan, and then she goes away or er, she won then, the then finals this, right she won the finals she won the finals for and sure she also made the beijing final yes okay uh, w- those are those are other results small. which are which isn't small right but they're the, winning the finals is a big one i guess should not have glossed over that and that like i think really did cement her number one pretty well that's a tough tournament Obviously, loaded field. It was the biggest prize money thing. Is Chen Zhen was setting the record for that? So that was sort of a big headline. And loaded for... her. I mean, as you mentioned, I mean, two thousand. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> for whatever fifteen hundred points is the finals. I mean, loaded her points, which would eventually lead to a lot of discussions in the last like twelve months of like, yeah. how is she still number one? Like all these sorts of things. But a lot of it is because of what she did in twenty nineteen, and also yeah. started twenty twenty semis AO, and also won um, uh, uh, Adelaide. I do think, though, as much, and I just say this for my own personal thing, I do think, though, as much as obviously winning finals is a big result, I'm not sure that it changed the narrative at Barty per se. Or at least it, it, it's still, like, it's still a tournament that happens in, like, odd time zone for a lot of people. Um, obviously not Australia or whatever. But it just, I don't know. I don't think it resonated in the same way that this Miami win resonates. For me, at least. Maybe sure. just my own very yeah. personal experience of having not been in Shenzhen. Um, and I know you were there in Shenzhen. Um, so it's different for us as individuals, probably. But yeah, and then Ash is number one and chooses not to play during the resumption after the pandemic. At the same time, in the limited tennis she plays, and she does not play anywhere near full schedule, Naomi Osaka sort of emerges as being a world beater and reels off a, a win streak that got into the 20s uh, before stopping in Miami. And it was very easy for people to think, oh, Naomi, Naomi's the, the best and that's a totally fair argument, I think, because we yeah, just yeah, hadn't yeah, seen 100%. Ash in a long time. Sure. And Ash did play and lost a kind of rough match to uh, Carolina Mukova in the quarterfinals of the Australian Open, which was sort of a bit of a whimper way to go out of that tournament, even if she had had some some decent wins in that tournament. And she won the lead-up event, too, uh, beating Muguruza in a final. That was a solid result, even if, again, a smaller tournament. I'm just sort of listing her results here. But all it is to say, like, I don't think that Ash has had until Miami – like a big stage sort of like tennis consciousness. And again, I'm 
exempting Shenzhen from this, but like those sorts of big wins that she reeled off. Because her draw was was very credible very early on in this tournament. Getting Akuchova was a messy match in her first match uh, that she saved match point in, but then getting Ostapenko, who's a slam champ, even if still a complete you know wild card in some dangerous ways. Then Azarenka, then Sabalenka, then Svitolina, then Andrescu, who she's beating pretty handily before that match ended due to retirement. Yeah, I just thought it was. I just felt like she, not in the not in the same order, but like those are plenty of big wins at a big event. I I think people understand Miami is a big event, maybe even more readily than the tour finals, which is silly, but I think they do. So yeah, all that is to say, I think Barty finally backed it up, and and Barty was very aware of you mentioned this for whispers. Like Barty was clearly, and I asked her about this in their, her post tournament press conference, or sort of alluded to that, um, and. She and she was pretty defiant in this way. That was was pretty cool. Actually, I hopefully find some audio of it, and put it in here so you can hear from Ash. Ash, congratulations! Uh, you've been number one in the rankings for a long time now, and even for a long time of that, you were not traveling with the tour. Or the tour was stopped and things like that. So, do you feel like coming, starting leaving Australia again for the first time in a long time, coming out here, coming to Miami and winning a title of this caliber? Do you feel like you proved anything to your to yourself or to anyone else about about? what you're still capable of and, and where your game's still at in terms of being a number one. Yeah, I never have to prove anything to anyone. Uh, I know all the work that I do with my team um, behind the scenes, and I know there's been a lot of lot of talk about the ranking, but uh, you know, I didn't I didn't play it all last year, and I didn't improve any of my points whatsoever. And um, yes, I didn't drop, but I didn't improve any. I didn't play any at all. And there were girls who had the chance to improve theirs, so I felt like I I thoroughly deserve uh, my spot at the top of the rankings. The year that we had in 2019 was. Uh, incredible, incredible for us, um, and you know to to be able to build on that now. What since the restart for for us has been great, but um, certainly in, in my eyes, we we come out here and do the best that we can, um, regardless of what anyone's saying. So I, I never feel like I have to prove anything to anyone. Was that always easy for you when you were off and you were hearing things about oh, you know, Barty's not well, number one because she's not playing, and I don't know, Saka's won two slams in a row, and Barty where's Barty? That's sort of, did that ever get to you at any point in the last year? No, I mean everyone's entitled to their own opinion. That's that's absolutely um, that's absolutely fine. I, I can't control what what anyone else thinks or what anyone else says. And um, for me, I, I just keep trying to do do what we do. Um, and yeah, I mean I feel like we we deserve to be to be top of the rankings. We've um, you know had such a fantastic season. And and also, I mean, I think everyone needs to understand that it's a, it's a pandemic. It's it's probably a once in a lifetime thing for for a lot of us to go through. So it's a bit of a difficult situation, but um, yeah, no, it doesn't it doesn't ever really get to me. I mean, it's it's just it's what people people say, and I can't change their opinion, so it, it doesn't stress me out at all. Courtney, I know you were pretty psyched by that answer of hers. What did you think of how Ash uh, responded to that? I think it's great. I think that again, sometimes with Ash, you know, she does have the blinders on and or at least like she that's the way she speaks you know she speaks as, as someone who just has has carved out this very secure bubble for herself of of she doesn't watch much tennis she doesn't really pay much attention to results she doesn't really live within the tennis world in the way that you're kind of used to seeing top players do so it you know so for her to acknowledge that she has heard the whispers, for her to acknowledge that, yes, she has heard you say she doesn't deserve to be number one. Yes, she has heard you say that she's a weak number one or Osaka should be number one or all these sorts of things. I thought that it was great for her to basically say she's heard it and that she deserves it. 
in that at the end of the day, she, you know, she she always has that line of like, I know the work that I've put in. It, it's no less than anybody else's and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, I think that the key thing that Ash brought up, which is a part of the discussion that around the number one ranking that people kind of conveniently don't discuss, is that there were points to be had. Ash didn't, uh, yes, Ash did not play after Doha 2020. That means that her points were capped. I mean, she did not earn any more points after that. She, you know, the finish line was there. If Simona Halep had won Roland Garros, if she had played U.S. Open and Cincinnati and done reasonably well, Halep, she probably would have been able to to, to overtake Barty even before Roland Garros. But despite any, all of that, if she had won Roland Garros, she would have overtaken Ash Barty. Um, Naomi Osaka, obviously incredible um, uh, run through the hard courts. She did, however, skip uh, the clay season. That was 2,000 points at Roland Garros. It's just sitting right there. Rome is right there. You know, Ostrava is a, is a 500. I mean, points were there to be had. And if anybody wanted to overtake Barty, the opportunity was there for them to do so. They did uh, not Middle do East, so. Uh, Middle East even for Osaka too. In February, exactly. In March. Exactly. In February. I mean, Naomi skipped, you know, what is that? Uh, 1900 points. Doha and Dubai. And it, it would have been a clean 1900 because Naomi had not played Doha, Dubai in 2020. So it's less than, I think it's like, I think one of them was a 500, right? Oh, sorry. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, sorry. Anyway. I was thinking the other. Yeah, no, it's a 14. So 1400, 1400 points, yeah. 1400 points. But, you know, so it's all there. And obviously in, in Miami, you know, the opportunity was there. Um, so it was great to hear Barty kind of acknowledge all that and, and which is to say I do think there is I do get this vibe that Ash has come back you know in 2021 not with a chip on her shoulder um because that's not who Ash Barty is she doesn't play like I really do believe when she says like I don't have to prove anything to anybody I genuinely believe Ash Barty when she says that that being said she's a competitor she is the number one player in the world she is looking at her results and what she did in 2019. And she's kind of like, really? Like, y'all write me off that quick? Really? You know? And so for her to go into Miami, beat the players that she did, play great tennis. I mean, and this is the cruel thing about tennis is that to your point about the finals or, you know, doing well, you know, we see this a little bit with Kennan having won the Australian Open and then making the the final at Roland Garros to incredible results. Unfortunately for Sonia, American two tournaments that Americans don't really care about in the way that they care about the US Open or they care about Wimbledon right. or they care about Indian Wells or Miami, right? So it's hard to make a dent um in in the psyche. Um and that's not fair to the player. But that's just the reality of the landscape, you know? Kenan specifically, I think, is an interesting sort of journey on that because she was, I think, ready for a sort of moment to come when she was going to come back home to play Indian Wells in Miami after being Australian Open champ. She would have been a marquee player at those two tournaments and would have gotten a lot of focus and a lot of sort of like, let's meet this, you know, American who just won Australian as our new major champ. And then that those, those opportunities for really her like sort of meet Sonia Cannon moments would have been the sunshine double of 2020 and she didn't get those. And so I think yep. she sort of missed her window there. It's bad I mean, bad luck yeah. on 
every level. Nobody expects of, for a pandemic to drop yeah. down. Um, but yeah, so so that's kind of the the wrinkle there. But it just feels like now the way that Barty won Miami beating the players that people talk about. You know, yeah. her best match of the tournament was against Sabalenka. That was an incredible match. Uh, and then to beat a Svitolina, who she had, she was one in five against, who is a tough out regardless, and she routines her 6-3, 6-3. And mm-hmm. then be- beating Andrescu, you know, before Andrescu rolled her ankle, um, you know, beating Vika, you know, regardless of form. I mean, Vika's not playing great, but Vika holds... And ima- holds the the tennis public's imagination, where if you get a win over, you think, oh, okay, and She's it was one a three set v- win. Vika's like one of the Horcrux is not the right word, but it's the first one that comes to mind. She's one of the sort of like feats you have to. She's like that one get. of especially, the Pokemon. You got to catch her, you know. Right, especially Vika on hard court. It's like very much like especially like a in big Miami. Tournament. Miami. She's a three time Miami champ. So like yeah. doing that, like I think in like if and when like Barty beat Serena at a major. That'll be like another big one. That's like one mm-hmm. of those sort of achievements that's like people take notice of and really cuts through the noise. It's um, why it's why Naomi it is be. Naomi. It's why yeah. Bianca is Bianca, you know? Um and that's what I was first saying about her Sloan. trajectory. Like, I don't I don't think that I don't think that Ash got like because of what I was saying about the Von of imagine that whole French Open run and just bad French Open. I don't think that Bianca got like a clean sorry, I don't think that Ash got a clean torch pass to her. The she way that actually Bianca did in, in that in that Bianca US did. Open final. Yeah. Yeah. And Naomi has. And you know, I think that with Ash, um, yes, there wasn't a there wasn't a, a sense of a coronation. Yeah. I think that the point that you made earlier is dead on, which is that because of how people feel about Ash, how beloved she is behind the scenes and in the sport and you know, how professional she is, all these things that in her game, which, you know, I don't know, some people might not like, but I mean, if you just look at it, X's and O's, it's like total tennis. It's perfect yeah. tennis when when Ash plays it. Um, people like her. So her so Ash winning Roland Garros was able to paper over the deficiencies of her win at Roland Garros. Yeah, exactly. Like, That's right. Was, yeah, like totally. your point was dead on, which I had never really thought about, but it's totally true. So yeah, you know, I mean, like even in in at the finals, the way that the groups broke out, you know, she didn't play Bianca, she didn't play Simona, she didn't play Naomi. Like they were, you know, um, you know, she beat Petra. I think yeah. was was the the big win that she had there. Bianca um, and Naomi pulled out of that tournament. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And and uh, you know, so it was a little bit again, kind of yes, the finals, but again, the path just didn't really resonate with yeah, people. Yeah. So I think that Miami, I, I think that like what I'm noticing right now in the last like 72 hours is just that there is now this discussion about Barty amongst commentators, amongst fans, amongst everyone that wasn't really happening before yeah. she won Miami. And I think that it really legitimized her in a lot of ways and really cemented to people like ash barty's legit and there was no reason to doubt that before if you just watched her play like you knew how good she was you know but i mean the way that she threw it down in miami and just went about her business and 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 you know yeah i i'm super impressed we obviously know there's a long tradition of sort of side-eyeing wt number ones right 
going all the way back. Yeah. I mean, really, obviously, you know, not all the way before, back, but it's not all the way back. I was, I was going to say going all the way back to, uh, I guess, was, or Kleister and Marisma both got them before they got to got oh, their true. first slams, and then um, Dinara, yeah, and, and and JJ, and Wozniacki for a long time, and, and even on, and honestly, even like Kerber when she started really floundering. Uh, while still hanging on to number one ranking for a lot of 2017, especially. The, it was different. It, Ash is not a slamless number one, but it has been about 22 months since she won her slam, which is a, a very long time, obviously, through the flukes of the pandemic schedule and things like that. But I just loved seeing how how her pride, I guess, in being number one and her ownership of it and that she didn't shrink from it. She didn't act like it was an yeah, accident. She didn't totally. act at all. Sometimes, especially like Kerber comes to mind, I can think of, almost acted like embarrassed to be number one at times in her answers or seemed like defensive about it or just sort of like not trying to shrug away from it. And that Ash, obviously Ash did it in the moment of having just won a big title, which probably makes it easier to to back yourself and have self-confidence and self-belief and all those things. But I I got the sense that it was there before that too and and how she answered. And yeah, that she just... She's quieter. She's a much quieter presence. We'll go. To, we can talk about Bianca shortly, but she has a much quieter presence than Bianca, who really announces herself at every point and shouts, you know, these self exhortations and and really brims with with confidence and just uh, stage presence and all these things. And Ash is quiet, but is in no way should that quietness be as things she showed today. And we said it's about Naomi too, but in no way should that quietness be mistaken for, for weakness or, or meekness or, or anything of the sort to make herself smaller. This was Ash Barty saying, not only do I deserve number one now, I have deserved this whole time. And these other w- girls was her phrase, wanted to get points. They could have plenty gotten points and they all <laughs> flopped. <laughs> they all, all these, or all these they- women flopped. Or they chose, or or they chose not to go after those points in the right. same way that I chose not to play. Like mm-hmm. it's so funny because the other thing too that that has kind of irked me with respect to the the the, the tenor of the conversation around Barty and her decision not to play during the shutdown or all of last year uh, after Doha is as though like she just was like nah. And that was not what happened. Like she literally, because of the state lockdowns in Australia, could not like practice with her coach. Yeah. Like they were in different states and ties couldn't get to up to Queensland for a while. So that was one thing. That was a big reason why she didn't come to U.S. And then once they did reunite, maybe there was an opportunity for her to be able to get enough training and and everything to be able to compete on clay to defend Roland Garros. And at the end of the day, you know, she was like, I'm cons- for the health of my team. You know, I don't really know what's going on. Flights in and out of Australia were not easy. I mean, not a lot of Australians, yeah. not a lot of Australians played at all last year. You Kyrgios know, didn't play either. And, and like yeah. and Kyrgios and Kyrgios still isn't playing. I mean, yeah. He's healthy and choosing not to play because the travel would be too much. And also he doesn't. And he also I don't want to minimize this part yeah he doesn't he doesn't relish the idea of playing in bubbles and being in sure. bubbles and but that's separate from, from ash I, I don't want i don't want i don't want nick's reasons okay i'm okay. saying i don't want yeah. nick's reasons to be conflated with the reasons why ash did not play last year okay, because sure. those are fair. two different fair, things fair, fair, fair. she fair. didn't like just not want to play there were actual logistical reasons why she couldn't play and i often would think like if this was osaka if this was serena if this was, you know, other marquee players on the tour, 
who these who actually had pandemic related reasons as to why they 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 couldn't travel, couldn't train, couldn't meet up with their coaches, all these sorts of things. And then they decided I'm not going to show up to a slam like underprepared. I don't think that people would give those players as much crap as people were giving Barty. I feel also, like people thought that Ash was just the whole time, like because of the the gif of the the grand final, like she was just kicking it, drinking beers, and hanging out in Australia. No. And I mean, that's just not. I mean, maybe she was, but she wasn't doing it because like she chose that over tennis. She was also, doing it because like that's what like the situation was. Also, did Rafael Nadal, defending U.S. Open champion, play the U.S. Open last year? He did not. And a lot of that, I'm sure, was because he got to keep his 2,000 points, right? The only person, actually, who tried to defend a title mid-pandemic of any of the four, uh, of, of the four defending champions in the fall 2020 Grand Slams, was Rafa at the French Open, which is Rafa at the French Open, which is like kind of a done deal is going to win the thing. Like all the others were, which, I mean, basically Rafa in U.S., Andrescu in, in U.S. and, and Barty in Paris were, and Andrescu had some injury issues there, obviously, as well. But we're all just sort of like, mm, no, and and then getting to keep all your points is a great incentive not to, not to play when you're someone who is on the fence or has, has reasons not to like. And, and I say that you know not to not to call her like calculating in a bad way, which all people like. But you're looking at the points, and she cares about being number one. You're and clearly she does care about being number one, which is a nice thing to get. It was a good moment for the number one ranking, also that answer because it's like yes, number one is a thing that's like something to be proud of, and people are, are all vying for. And it's it's a title worth pursuing. It, it's a meaningful moniker. It's not just sort of like yeah, all the chatter. It, it it all the chatter of like I don't care about number one. Yeah, sure, but at the same lies. time, all like, lies, all lies, it's Everyone's lies. I, I'm sorry, it's, it's lies. lies because you know, even Naomi, she said after she lost to 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 Zachary, like she was like, you know, everybody started talking to me about the number one. I think I I I let that get to me. It's like oh, but I thought you said you don't care. So. You know, mm. it matters. It's significant. It's historic. It is something. Winning a Grand Slam doesn't mean that you're the best in the world. The The number next to your name does matter on some level. All players, two basic rules for tennis noobs, all players care about the number one ranking and their rankings, period. Rankings, period, yes. And number also one ranking, Also because of yes. the money. Has the money attached to it too, and the bonuses. You get lots of sponsor bonuses for being the number Your sponsors one. I'm sure, like Fila, for example, is paying her way more because she's currently number one and has stayed number one than it would be if she was just. And there's other things for top five, top ten, top twenty, whatever. Fila, head, Jaguar, Rado. All those. That's things. like a that's like a a, a no brainer right into the contract. Like, and all oh, the you're players, number one. We pay you more. And all the players care about money too. Is one a in my thing, and then two, they all also read what's being written and said about them. They all know, and they people and they people who tell them. Like, if let's say, let's say for example, this didn't happen, but let's say I don't know, like Halep said, like Obari doesn't deserve number one, and it got posted by like Tennis World. Or something, not even like a big deal thing, but like that is a shot at tennis world, which is not great. Um, that like the number of people who would text that to Ash within like thirty seconds of seeing it would be <laughs> immense, and Ash would sit there and seethe and plot her revenge. Again, this didn't happen; this is a fictional scenario. But like athletes all care, and they're all competitors, and they're all and you can't spell competitive without petty in the middle, right? <laughs> <laughs> so. They're all that way. Even fair if point, Ash seems point. not petty, she is on a lot of levels petty because all the greats are. I don't think she's petty, but she's competitive. Like she, she, Can't she backs herself. And, petty. I showed, I, work, I showed my work. 
<laughs> but yeah, no. I so I think that the conversation around Ash is 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 good. I think that it's great that people are are kind of coming to grips and coming to terms with the fact that you know Ash Barty is very good at tennis and that you know the WTA does have this trio of of young players in in Barty and Osaka and Andrescu in particular. Mm-hmm. Not to mention obviously Shviantek, Kenin, like you know, golf coming up, like, you know, all of these, these young players. Um, but, but those three, because they've just had the opportunity and the time to build up their reputations are so interesting as, as a trio. So interesting as like this gradation of kind of like you have Naomi and then you have Ash and then you have Bianca of this, this, yeah, this spectrum of players who are so good, who are so electric on the court, who handle their business so differently but in all ways, across all three of them, all very graceful, very like just like, I mean, I hate using the phrase because it's so been used in a way that I hate, but like okay. so good for the sport, like mm-hmm. to have, you know, Naomi and Ash and Bianca kind of battling it out and hopefully we'll, we'll get more of that. But um, they have, but yeah, they have, they have charisma and not everyone has that. And that does matter yeah. in, a, in a sport that's so star driven as, as tennis is. And let's just talk about, let's talk about, I think we spent like half an hour talking about Barty, which is great, but I could talk, spend another 30, but let's go to BB. But let's talk about Bianca. Let's talk Andrescu. some BB ball. So Bianca Andrescu ranked number eight. Again, it's a factor of the, of the rank system being what it is in Miami. We were, we saw her first come back in Australia, right? And we weren't sure what to make her. She pulled out of that warm up event. She got people going like, Oh, again. And, uh, and then she loses second round. She plays a good first round in, in Australia again. Against Luzernescu, uh, Dr. Buzz, and uh, loses second round to Shea Suey, which is no shame. But it was, did not play a great match, but still no shame losing to Suey ever. Um, then Badge she, of honor. Yeah. And then she plays. I would, to I quote Jen to Brady. Ask her. <laughs> yes. Oh, what an oh, honor. <laughs> what a goober. All right. Let's so, go. <laughs> iconic moment for sure all right uh and then bianca i wanted to ask her at some point during a press conference but all our press conferences were at like 3 a.m so there was like didn't feel like time for this like, is true so i wanted to ask her about the birds match <laughs> she played the birds match against Wrangle, which was iconic, iconic. in its own way iconic. it should not be should not be lost match in, the of the year. Of, in the scope of things uh so match she of the, the year on animal planet match First um, round, Phillips Island oh Trophy. Oh my gosh, so funny. Hitchcock. <laughs> Actively funny match. <laughs> Madison Brengel wanted to wanted to end a bird. It was it was so funny. It was really, you know, respect to animals, Pete or whatever, but like it was really funny. Anyway, Andrescu comes like with some mixed mixed signals, doesn't play Middle East, right? And comes to Miami, still received number eight, um, which both feels like too low and too high at the same time because you just haven't seen her, but also she's amazing and we know when she's on, she beats everybody. And she makes her way through the draw, beats Anisimova in kind of a scrappy kind of match, beats Muguruza, and was a big blockbuster uh, in the fourth round. Uh, Muguruza had been kind of the play- winningest player of the year, kind of player to beat. Uh, and then she wins a very physical match against who's shaping up to be this decade's Irani and Sarah Cerebes Tormo in terms of just playing these like attrition y, physical, like loopy matches. They're super, super that brand of stuff, and they actually play each other, I think, this week. So that's exciting for people who enjoy. We're already pa- we're already packing our lunchables. Yes, for that one. And then she beats uh, Maria Sakari, who had beaten Osaka the round before. Another tight, tight match, third set tiebreak, and then she is losing to Barty and rolls her ankle. But like, 
again, Bianca is one of those people who, again, has like such it factor. It's hard to articulate totally, but she, when I watched her, especially, and I said this to her in press, and I'm not sure it was even really a question or whatever, but like, it's almost like a little bit of like being the rich man's Karatsev, where I've seen so little of her relatively, but almost everything I've seen of her is wins. I've seen so few Andrescu <laughs> losses that I just like don't envision her losing. And she just does this thing in a way that Osaka also has done at her peak too, where just like you kind of trust that she's going to pull out matches. It has that sort of factor to, to, to do it. And and I think her legend certainly did not shrink in the first round of this tournament, especially with that, that Sakurai match. I was always like, if it's close, like BB's got it. And I still felt that way. And then she still has that sort of magic in her after – um, all this time off tour, a lot of, a lot of time on the shelf. It, it, I was impressed. Yeah, no, there, there's, there's, there. I don't think that I've seen a player like Bianca Andreescu on either the men's or women's side, to be completely honest. There mm-hmm. is this, the charisma that she has on the court and even off court. Um, but especially on court in match is, is, for someone who's who's successful, I mean, obviously there are players who have like incredible charisma on court, but they're not as successful as Andrescu, you know, in terms of like being open and, and letting, you know, yeah, I can think of a Cornet. I can think of like, you know, these players who draw you in and make you a part of it. Even Simona, I think is, is, is a player that's similar in terms of like bringing you in, but, but it's nothing like what, what mm. Andrescu does. I, th- I I think the one who sort of reminds me of that, no, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. But the one who sort of reminds me of that, it's like peak, let's say, or like most expressive Serena. When like Serena's in like a yeah, big match yeah, and okay, she sort of yeah. is like at her most demonstrative, BB's kind of that way like a lot. Yeah, no, that's actually that's actually a really good call because there is also there is that um that that outward charisma, that energy that that draws you in and and like just it's almost like she's just like, get on my back. I'm carrying you through this. Yeah. Like, let's go. Let's go. Roller coaster. In a way coaster. that has to be intimidating, too. In a way that like, yes. I, you feel like she's making her presence known to the crowd, to herself, and to the opponent. And that's yes. also, like, the thing with, like, she just, you said this before, but, like, matches become about her, right? She yes. is the protagonist of every match she plays. That's why that I think it's Serena-esque. Yeah. Yes. No, I, I agree with you. I think that uh, out past Serena, I haven't seen a player like this uh, until BB. Um, where, yeah, the match is about her, whether she's winning, whether she's losing, whether she's down in the scoreline, up in the scoreline, it's about her. It's about whether she's playing well, not playing well, making bad mistakes. And, you know, but she has this ability, um, to flip things, to turn things around. I mean, even when, I mean, Sakari served for the match in the third set. Mm -hmm. And when she stepped to the line, I was like, and Jessica's gonna break. The, the, yeah. Like I was like, there's no way this is closing out, uh, unless BB hits four errors. But uh, I just don't see it. She has this ability that you just can't teach, and you can't. Uh, it's I don't know, dude. Like she's so special to me. She so I, so special. You probably remember, or maybe you don't remember, 2019 U.S. Open before the women's final. Serena Andrescu. I came yeah. up to you and I was like, Andrescu's gonna destroy her. 
Like I was suddenly, it just suddenly occurred to me. I was like, this match is not going to be close. And it really wasn't as close as it was like, it was up what? Like six, one, five, Thanks to the U S open crowd. It was closer in scoreline than it, than it should have been. It it deserved to be bakery full basically for most of that match. It was one in, it was one in six, one in five in the end, but it should, it could have been one in two, I think anyway. But like, that's the thing. Like when you see, she just has this way of just feeling Thanosianly inevitable right where she just like is like i got like she just feels like yeah she just imposes herself and is in control and gets points when she needs them except that she's not and that's the thing is that like because what is it 80 percent of her completed matches in 2021 have gone three sets but they all end with her winning right most of them uh yeah she lost to buzkova buzkova where was that oh in in in, right in in, pit melbourne afterwards Um, yeah 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 philip island yeah but yeah, it's the thing is that she's still it it I mean the comparison is apt. I get it. I hope to gosh it doesn't pan out the same way, but it's Del Potro. Mm. You know, it is it is, you know, th- this was a comparison that that was floating around on Twitter. It, I think a lot of us were like, how have I not thought of this before? Um, but it is. She she brings you in in a way that that Del Potro kind of does, obviously marred by injury as well. But the thing about BB is that if she was bringing you in and dominating, it wouldn't be as compelling. But she literally puts on this two and a half hour, <laughs> like one woman monologue, yeah. like, you know, on Broadway, not off Broadway, literally on Broadway, like, and commands that, that, that presence and that, that attention. And, um, it's, it's, I, I, I just was so, um, pleased for her and happy for her to be able to put up the results and the performances that she did in Miami. I think that beating the players that she did was legit, but also the fact that she had to play different styles of tennis to do it. You know, I mean, with an Anisimova, Anisimova flat hit her very aggressive and and Bianca kind of had to match that. And then with, with Muguruza, her suffocating, tactically perfect tennis. I think Muguruza did go into Miami quite fatigued, um, I have to say. Like, so... A little bit of an asterisk, not asterisk, but a, a, a note of context there. So it wasn't the best of Garby. But um, but but again, uh, Andrescu able to fight through, you know, physical ailment in that match and, and beat the hottest player on tour. Cerebus Tor- Tormo would just was a fitness test. It yeah. was pure. And SST played an unbelievable match. Like... I know that she's going to get those comparisons to Arani, and I know that, and, and that's not a bad thing. I mean, I think if you were to tell Sarah Cerebus Torma, yeah, exactly. If you're going to tell Sarah Cerebus Torma, she's going to make two Roland Garros finals and be a top five player. One, but yeah, two. Didn't she play Maria and then Sir- just Maria? That's just okay. Maria? Just okay, Maria. good for you. <laughs> <laughs> One is still great. <laughs> One is awesome. I mean, yeah. more Bunch than of most. Semis, but se- se- some slam semis in there too. She made a f- semi the next year. She made a semi U.S. Open. She she was a good player. Yeah, yeah. No, two back to back Istanbul's. Like she was good. Yeah, no, she was good. And if you were to tell SST like that would be her career, she would take it in an absolute heartbeat. Um, but I do think that like there is something about the way that Cerebus Tormo plays her tennis that I find far more not far more. Sorry, it's compelling to me. It it okay. somehow it speaks to me in a way that I don't know why. Um, okay. And okay. I can tell a very funny Sarah Cerebus Torma, not funny, but interesting story about SST later. But um, yeah, I, you know, to get through that physical test um, against her and then against Soccer, who played a great match and to come through in, in, in that tie break, unbelievable. 
I just I'm glad that BB's back on the board. Um, I'm glad that Maria Andrescu got good camera time. I'm glad Coco Andrescu was bringing bringing it and looked amazing and also kind of bored. And Great tired. stuff. There's some late finishes I mean, for Coco Andrescu. I think it was a problem that Coco Andrescu was not at the final. I feel like how can Coco be oh, there the whole time yeah. and then not show up at the final and then BB rolls her ankle? I mean, cause and effect. I'm just saying. I'm I'm not a scientist, but I play one on TV. Mm-hmm. Math math checks out completely. <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah, Andrescu is just like she takes up a lot of space in this way that I think it's like really interesting and positive in her presence and in her belief and everything. And yeah, I just and hope, she's I magnanimous. That... I have to say this about BB, like or Bianca, like I've never called her BB to her face. Like I don't know why I say it. Um, but um, her moment at the net with with Cerebus Tormo was was really sweet, really yeah. nice. Um, so complimentary of her, so complimentary of of Barty. Um, after that match, I loved her quote about kind of like, I've seen her play on TV, but it's totally different playing against her. And I will say this about Ash. Going back to Ash, if you listen to Naomi talk about Barty, Naomi knows how tough Barty is to beat. You know who and loves you, Ash, it's Serena. Also, oh, I believe you ever, it. You ever see the Serena quotes about Ash? It's like yeah, yeah. effusive about Ash. Anyway, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean Petra. I mean Petra and her friends, but like, I always found it interesting that like because I think it, Osaka was asked at, at at the Australian Open, what would it be like to or what are player who are players that you would love to play in a Grand Slam final, and she was like, oh, I'd love to play Sviatek and Drescu would be cool, and obviously it's Australia, so the Australian press were like, what about Ash Barty? And Naomi's whole demeanor changed. She was like. I do not want that. Like, I like basically like <laughs> I do not want a piece of that. Like, she is tough to beat, and Naomi's beaten her, but she knew how tough that was. And Bianca kind of had the same reaction after playing Ash in the final, just kind of like that was that was not easy. Like, no. you know, she's so much, she's so good, and so you know, kind of listen to the other players. Like, in terms of how if you if you underestimate Barty's game, trust me, her competitors do not. But yeah, so, uh, but I, I thought that was really nice as well. It's just, you know, Miami being the, the tournament of the the very famous. Uh-huh. Yes. The biggest drama queen ever. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and feeling like Andrescu totally agrees. <laughs> like, I don't think that Bianca really, like, I, one of my favorite things that Bianca did after that moment was that she posted it to her own Insta story. <laughs> <laughs> with like laughing emojis like i was like yeah. oh wow this crew is different like this gen yeah. z is different because i would i just have never seen something like that but she was like haha you know and but she is and yeah. but in a great way in a great way i think i think i think i said this during the and this is the last thought on her because we should move on to other stuff that sees Do two we players have to? for 45 minutes but um bianca is the one when we were doing our book club discussion of venus envy um, I was like, she would fit in this era. Sort of like big personalities, like sort of, you know, young and like super precocious and super full of confidence and not willing to, not afraid to ruffle feathers and stuff. And she's probably nicer than most people in that book. <laughs> but like, but at the yeah. same time, she's still like, still plenty hard edge and plenty like feisty competitor and like fiery and and all this sorts of good stuff so yeah i said that as a huge compliment that she would like fit in with no problem to that. no that totally counts. i mean she yeah. she yeah i mean i i say it all with as a massive compliment i think that it's pretty clear like i just think the world of her i think that she 
ha- handles things very professionally. She doesn't take those pot shots. She's, you know, good about kind of how she goes about things and mm-hmm. uh, recognizes great opponents and great play when it happens and is is humble while at the same time, and this maybe is a bit of a Canadian thing, <laughs> Uh, which we've seen in the past, but but with Jeannie and 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 you know other other Canadian players, but um, where whenever people doubt her, I feel like Bianca also is kind of in the back of her head, kind of being like, "What have I done to make you doubt me?" Yeah, it's a little bit of the same. Ash has this, as we discussed already, and Naomi has this, um, as we've discussed in the past, of like, "Why do you think I wouldn't come through?" Why would I not be ambitious? I have proven I have every right to be as ambitious as I am. So, yeah, great to have Bianca back on the board. Looking forward to seeing her uh, play natural services, which we haven't really seen yet. And I'm super curious to see how that pans out. Super curious. Also, segue to see how that pans out for Naomi Osaka, who had her long 23, I believe it ended at 23 match win streak, all on hard courts and in the quarterfinals of the Miami Open pretty abruptly uh, or pretty decisively six love six four against Maria Sakari. Um, how do you so Osaka sort of said having the kind of power rankings number one going into Miami had a chance to get the number one ranking if she won Miami and Ash didn't make the final also so she didn't totally control her own destiny there but um, especially because Ash did make the final as it turned out but how how do you think this how do you think Ash sorry how do you think Naomi goes in to the uh, European part of the calendar with this uh, with this streak ending and yeah where, where, how do you how do you read Naomi now because we like you know we don't get to see her that often like she plays a pretty scant schedule for such a young player so what do you make from this data reading of, uh, of Naomi I think in a lot of ways a blessing in disguise uh, for Osaka to to kind of um, have the 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 winning streak end, yeah. um, and especially and not to take anything away from from Maria Sakari in that match because she played it perfectly, tactically and both execution wise. Naomi did not play well in no. any way, shape, or form. And what we have seen is that when Osaka loses, she loses big. I mean, like, you know, you have this Sakari match, you know, getting bageled. She got bageled by Cerebus Tormo in Fed Cup. That was her last match, you know, 13 months ago. Her loss to Goff at the Australian Open was absolutely terrible. Um, Like, Naomi thinks that she played worse or played worse against Sakari. I think she still played worse in in, against Goff. I think that was just a terrible match from her. Those matches happen. And those matches tend to happen when she's feeling the pressure. You know, she she said now, you know, months later, you know, I did not want to lose to Coco Goff in that match. And she came out and played tight and then playing Fed Cup, you know, coming off of that match, not in a great headspace. And then, you know, the pressure of playing for Japan and all these sorts of things playing on clay, which is, you know, she is a little bit in her head as well, just plays a terrible match against SST. And then um, a little bit with 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 Sakura as well. And 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 Naomi had chances to pull that one around. She had to break a uh, lead yeah. in the second set, and 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 Sakari, to her credit, I don't think that Naomi really relinquished the lead so much as Sakari came back and just like took it, elevated her game, and and closed it out in two sets. But I think that it's a good thing, um, grand scheme of things, that that Osaka goes into the clay season without the pressure of you're on this winning streak and you can't be beaten. 
like, okay, mm-hmm. that's done. Um, and can go in clean, you know, because again, on clay, she's great. And she can only get better. And her 2019 clay season was fantastic. She made semifinals of Stuttgart, quarterfinals Madrid, I think quarters of Rome, maybe, and then lost third round uh, Roland Garros to Siniakova, um, which was a pressure-addled loss in a lot of ways because she would, you know, won U.S. Open, won Australian Open. She had in her mind, maybe I could get the quote-unquote Serena Slam, you know, mm-hmm. if I win Roland Garros and Wimbledon. Or at least like she had she she had all these ideas in her head of what she wanted to do that year. And it kind of all came crashing down at Roland Garros. But um, yeah, I, I think that it's good. I think that, you know, yes, in probably, well, I don't know if I would put her, I don't know. Would you put her at power rankings one right now? Well, now it gets interesting because she absolutely was before she was, Miami yeah. Open. And I don't know where Ash sat on the power rankings actually before I'm not sure she was number two. I don't know where I would have put Ash. No, you put Muguruza at number two. Muguruza two. Depending on how, depending depending on your recency bias, you could even do something like put Brady in the top five somewhere. I mean, like there's different things you could do with it. Pagula in the top ten. Again, depending on how you sort of measure your stuff um, and how much it's calibrated for surface and whatever else. But yeah, I I think now they go in kind of like in a fairly dead heat. And Ash, yeah, Ash did win the last French Open, but... Uh, again, that's that her only clay title. That's, that's her only clay title. It's a weird... As, as noted previously in the show... Um, it was, An hour ago. Not the most convi- <laughs> not the most convincing title on paper. Um, and so, yeah, so uh, we'll see. We'll, I'll see how good. But I, it's just... I hope, I hope again, these three women we've talked about for the show, Osaka, Andrescu, uh, Barty, I hope they all play good clay schedules and play each other. And not to mention all sorts of other names. We have Simona Halep, Serena, Shviantek. people in the mix. Sviantek, yes, exactly. Defending champion there. Uh, plus a whole bunch of other hosts of characters. Kvitova, Mugarutha. Mugarutha, I mean, yes. it's, it's, this pretty is, good. Pretty, this pretty is good. something special. Good. It's pretty good right now. It's pretty good right now. It's pretty good. Let's talk about things that are pretty good. Let's ship. Okay. Brief shout out before I go to the men. Brief shout out to Anna Kanya. Oh, back, amazing. Making fourth round. That was nice to see. Hope she, again, she hope, hit yeah. forty winners against Iga, Iga Swiatek to knock Iga out. Iga had twenty seven. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I wrote in my insider rap, and this was related to Bianca, but it also obviously relates to Kanyu as well. Uh, Kanyuk, there's like a, apparently it's like a little it's hard not a silent sound. Age, yeah, yeah. It's, I I always thought that it was a silent age, but it's it's Kanyuk. Um, but um, that ten age, yeah, yeah. Um, Tennis is a very cool sport insofar as it's very, what have you done for me lately? Out of sight, out of mind, you know, Mm -hmm. because the tour is just unrelenting. It just propels forward. There's new talent all the time, new results, new storylines. And so what I wrote, I wrote that with relation to Andrescu, who was like, went into Miami and reminded us why she is Bianca Andrescu. Mm-hmm. Uh, and why she excites us so much. And I feel like the same applies to Anna Konyuk. I think I think that even for myself, like I definitely forgot what made Anna Konyuk so good. Like I knew that she hit a big ball and all that sort of stuff, but I mean, I just I just forgot. And watching that Sviantek match, I was just kind of reminded. And, and she beat Keys the, the match before. I mean, she had back-to-back top 20 wins, mm-hmm. uh, 20 or top 25 wins. Um, yeah. Great to have her back on the board. And you saw, too, the locker room reaction. I think, like, her cohorts and everybody who's played on tour with her, like, 
everyone really respects Anna a lot and yeah. understands her talent. So four after four surgeries on her arm, back and playing that type of ball, good stuff. Yeah, great to see. And so, yeah, popular people know also what she's been through, or at least have some understanding of it. And she's been a yeah, pleasant player. I still remember back to going back to one of the previous players. Remember in like circa when Naomi was first getting on Twitter and she was a relatively late joiner of Twitter. <laughs> yes. Remember her remember her tweeting on Connie asking about her eyebrows? Yeah. Like yeah. how do you do that? They're great. How do you do that? Anyway. I think that I asked her or you asked her about it, uh, Naomi, at Australian Open that year or Brisbane that year. One of mm. us, definitely, because mm-hmm. it's in the transcript. If people uh, want to look yeah. it up on ASAP was like, so I think it was me. I'm pretty sure it was like, so what's the deal with you and these tweets with Anna Kanye? And it, it's a very endearing exchange yeah. with, with Naomi. So those of you who saw our tweets or on Patreon and got the alert about it, know that Courtney and I live streamed uh, or live streamed <laughs> our commentary of Simon watching the men's Miami open final, which was an NCR special of many sorts between uh, Yannick Sinner, who you all know, if you listen to the show at all, know that I think we'll win everything immediately, <laughs> and it's just it's just it's just a you know a, a messianic figure really in the sport. Let's just put it that way. And versus uh, Courtney's fave uh, Hubie Hercash, who, uh, who Courtney was convinced would win nothing right. in his career. And I was already sudden, excited about Delray Beach. <laughs> <laughs> he backs up Delray Beach what a, a few miles down the coastline with a win, a a really surprising win, even in this like open field. I don't think we thought it was her catch open, but you know. Well, but it was. Catch. It, it might have been her catch open, except for his actual path was to not, winning was no. not like no one would have been like, oh no, yeah, no, Hubie's he, totally going to take the, care of in business. In a draw that Absolutely largely not. fell apart, Hubie did not have easy matches. I mean, he started against Kudla, not the hard, but like who's better than his rank or more dangerous ranking. We'll defend Kudla for a while. Uh, Shapovalov in his first seed match, number six seed, then Ronich, who I thought would could win the title. Uh, potentially uh Ronish will still not coming true yet uh, uh in a third set breaker and then beat Tsitsipas uh then beats Rublev and then beats Sinner I mean like that's, that's pretty darn good for for what the draw had that's kind of everybody in the draw that's like, literally everyone in the draw like the people much. that everybody's like ooh. yeah that plus that Medvedev it. it's like the draw basically sure yeah yeah so yeah. and some others um but so sits a pass, um, and Rublev is interesting. I don't recognize really, it. I will not respond to it. I, what what did I say? I didn't, I didn't say anything. Sits a pass and Rublev um, both were clearly, I think, feeling the pressure of like, oh wow, this is like open. I can win this Masters, and Rublev especially like was open about that in in his press afterwards. Was like, yeah, you know, I knew I could. That's what I just said basically. Not to paraphrase it in his way. Um, <laughs> but I'm curious, like, what you think, Courtney? Just more big picture about. What a sort of how a Hercatch Sinner Masters final sets up the tour, or if it's such a one off, and also just like what to make of this Miami field and the lack of attendance by the big guys. I mean, like, arguably, like the five biggest stars, like most accomplished players, let's say, in, in tennis, uh, or Murray's in his own kind of category at this moment, but like the big three and team, who's the US Open reigning champ, were not there. Plus, you know, like, I don't know, Kyrgios or whoever else wasn't there. Ravrinka wasn't there. What do you make of, of this of this Miami Open as a sort of it's a sort of document on the men's game right now? ATP Outsider, take it away. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, it, it could either be a watershed moment that triggers a sea change going forward, or it was completely a, a hermetically sealed result 
because of the 30 players that didn't play, yeah, you know, and, and yeah. leaving it open. And, you know, obviously, you know, we see that that what happens when the big three are not an event, a big event, that it obviously creates opportunities and that those opportunities create a trickle down event, a trickle down effect of a lot of pressure for the players that are favored to to take over because mm -hmm. the big three are not there. Um, and also opportunity for players who you would never consider being ones that would beat the big three in order to get their hands on that sort of title. No. You know, I mean, I think that we see these results quite frequently. Well, I could be wrong. ATP outsider asterisk. But like Bear C is an event where because of its placement in the calendar, yeah, it's you know, high. before before um, before the finals and all that sort of stuff, it doesn't usually get a full field. And when it hasn't had the big three playing, which is probably more frequent than any of the Masters events, um, it has a wonky, wonky results. I mean, Ferrer, Janowitz in a final. It, Jack Sock has won that as a Masters event. Jack Suck won that tournament. I want to say, top of my head, I believe he played Benito and then Krajinovic in the last two rounds of that tournament. I think. It's wild. So, you know, Hubie yeah. her earned his. Um, Hubie, Hubie. <laughs> it's interesting. I you, feel like the, narr the narrative would have been a lot clearer. Okay, finish your thought and then I'll go. No, no, I just, I mean, outside of the big three not being in Miami, Hubie earned his crap. Yeah. I say crap, okay. not, I don't mean crap. I mean, I was going to say the cuss word of it, but I just decided last minute not to say it. But just then now it sounds it, like I'm just, just like being, Hubie earned his shit. He did. Thank you. Like, I mean, to go through that draw and to win, fucking tip your cap. Like, bro, earned it. So I think that like in a lot of ways, it's, it could be a triggering event for Hubert Hercatch. You know, and his ascent, and from my discussions with the ATP insiders, you and Reem, um, uh, that 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 you know that next generation of players has a tremendous amount of respect for Hubie and his game, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. you know see him as a threat and all that sort of stuff, which is great. Um, but I don't know. I I uh, in the grand scheme of things, I don't know what twenty twenty one Miami means to the men until you know we won't know until twenty twenty two. You know what I mean? Like. We could look back and be like, oh, you know, Robert Frost style, like two paths diverged and Miami happened. And that yeah. is now the path that we're on. It's OK. If sure. if Sinner had won that final, he beat Batista Gut in a, in a good semi. And Batista Gut's like a solid veteran and stuff. But he didn't really have the murderer's row type run that he or the, the real credibility in the resume. But Sinner would have fit more sort of like pre-anointing like. He's it would have been ahead of schedule for him to win a Masters for sure. He's still outside. The, both these guys are outside the top thirty coming into this tournament, so it wasn't really expected to win a Masters yet. But he's trending very up, and is, is obviously gets a lot of talk from from various you know extremely handsome tennis commentators who think who think he's going to do wonderful things in the sport. But 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 he but yeah, but Hubie wins, and it's more. But the road is better. But I don't know if people think his long term prospects how that changes that conversation. It's... I don't know. I think it gives it gives him sort of a calling card when he's like in the in the uh, not that they do in these ceremonies in Paris, but if there was like a sort of ESPN US Open style draw ceremony in the French Open, let's say they would spend more time talking about Hubie and like their sort of little blurb, like oh, there's the Miami champ. It's it's a calling card. For him. It's something he can hang his hat on. And it's it's a it's a hat doesn't really fit on his head very well, so it's good to get something to put it on. Bless his head is so square. Um, yeah, no, for sure. And I mean, going back to obviously the discussion that we had 
an hour ago about Ash. Miami matters. Miami, yeah. you know, and Hubert Hercotch winning Miami means more, I think, than Hubert Hercotch winning Bercy. Same level event. But like Miami. Yeah, that's right. You know what I mean? Like it, it just it just it it, you know, it used to be the Depends on the Bercy, but yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a great result for him. Who knows what it means? It it goes and and it's it's similar to, you know, the 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 years. I mean, we were saying this as the segue into this into this seg uh, segment about the men, just kind of like the WTA is in a really really sweet place right now in terms of the depth and in terms of its stars and mm -hmm. everything kind of coming together and all the matchups that we've already gotten in twenty twenty one are amazing. It's taken time to get there. And, you yeah. know, it has, you know, there have been, you know, while I don't feel this way about those finals, because I personally just think that every final is a really big deal for each individual player. And I don't, I, I just don't really shit okay. on it one way or the other. But, you know, you are going to have, you have to have these sorts of finals in order to build to oh, yeah. a place where you have like, 10, 15, 20 players that everyone really respects. The reason why we respect the 15, 20 players on the WTA that we consider the depth of the tour mm -hmm. is because those 15, 20 players have won massive titles. The things have been spread around. Yes. Yeah. And so right? now Hubie, so, and now, now Hubie yeah. has his calling card. Now Hubie is yep. in that conversation. He's a master's champ. Again, something that a lot of people in this, like in looking at this draw, like Rublev's still not a master's champ. Batista Goose still not a Masters champ. Ronich still not a Masters champ. Sitsipas still not a Masters champ. Like that's a meaningful achievement unlocked in in men's tennis. It's it's a very clearly defined group. I think maybe more so than the women, which is how they how it's branded and everything. Like Masters champ, people count how many you have. It's a whole, it's a whole thing. So Hubie gets there and gets and centers in the Masters final and stuff too. And I also think it's I also think it reflects conversely whatever on the guys who didn't win the tournament. Uh, you know your Sitsipas's, your Rublevs, especially who are both looking for their first one. And both talked about as being big favorites for this title. And Medvedev a little bit, but also he's been doing much better lately. So maybe less pressure in that way. That these things are hard. And also they had this, like, it's suddenly tough when you're considered a favorite in a tournament. Like Rublev was, it, it, even though it doesn't feel like in terms of the draw, like looking at the names who are left, like it's tougher than the 500s he's been winning. But it still is a step up. It still, it still is meaningfully different to beat these players at a 500 versus a 1000 versus a slam. And it's not, I say this all the time with regard to like people being like best of th five is what makes slams tough. It's like, no, no, no. Slams is what makes slams tough. Like go ask your it's Carolyn Bosniakis or your Alina Svitolinas or whoever you want to say, is it Sabalenka. tougher to win a slam? Yeah. Sabalenka yeah. for sure. Oh yeah, for sure. Like Halep before she finally broke through. I yeah. mean, there's a palpable pressure when it comes to to playing that, regardless of 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 format change. Yeah, no, for sure. So yeah, no, I I think obviously it's great. I'm happy with 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 Hubie winning. Of course, um, mm -hmm. I thought it was really cute. I, I had no idea that Hubie and Yannick were good friends. So that was that was quite an adorable moment. Hubie doesn't know how match. to kiss They're a trophy or another human being. That was also adorable. Um. <laughs> You know, what a king, what a stud, what a champ, what a goob. <laughs> These are my people. Just looking forward to seeing my posters next year. The, the, um, <laughs> the, <laughs> it's true. The couple I know, just the idea of that square head on the side of Dolphin Stadium. I love it. You talked love about it so it much. The, you talked about it in our live broadcast, but can you briefly, because I know people, I think you've said this on the show before, but just because it's a Hubie moment, can you talk about 
who who he reminds you of so strongly and why. Yes. So I became the world's biggest Hubert Hercutch fan, uh, mainly because I watched him play out of the corner of my eye once and all of his mannerisms between points looked exactly like Andy Murray, the way that he walks, the way that he grabs the towel, the way that he readies to return serve, uh, grabs the balls, all of it. It just it's so Andy Murray. And that's how I became a Hubert Hercutch stand. Nothing else. Uh, thankfully, he's a pretty good tennis player. Yeah. As uh, in addition to being an Andy Murray impersonator. So. Yeah, good times. And a thoroughly pleasant guy by all accounts. Yeah, like super nice guy. Like I, I anybody who listens to NCR knows, like Hubert Hercotch, absolutely in my wheelhouse of like players to stand, which is a super nice human being who Courtney just honestly hopes wins things, but doesn't have high hopes that they will. Um, yeah. but just wants them to have to be happy. Those are that's my stable of people, and Hugh, Hubie was there, and now you know he's only eight masters away from from being a ma- a golden masters guy. Jokemon, like, yeah. Get the Jokemon boy. Like now the expectations, like you fucking won Miami, go fucking win them all, dude. Like Jesus, what are you waiting for? Let's not get too carried away. The people who were getting carried away. So we had a couple other players I want to mention from this draw who made impacts. Um, this was sort of again. With the notion of Miami being a big stage and in terms of how it's presented, certainly in U.S. media, even if it, for the first time it wasn't on a, a network outside of Tennis Channel, which did, I think, does think change perceptions of it and stuff and may have a running impact in the future. But this seemed to be the first time that Tennis Channel got to be around for extended periods around uh, the, the the guy we know as Sasha Bubbles, Alexander Bublik. Bubbles! And Tennis Channel adored him they loved him as they so should. much they couldn't get as enough. they should he was yeah. on the mic he, he was like they brought him into studio with with uh prakash and his arms and it was just like it, it he was just like going wild and it was like such a great like broadcast interview and they clearly did not like have high i don't think they knew much about him or i don't know maybe they did maybe they didn't but like it just seemed like they were like whoa this was different than our karat seven interview <laughs> <laughs> You know, because he's like he's a guy from like Kazakhstan, you know, Alexander Bublik, like who would necessarily think that he was like as as fun as as he is. It's because he's fun. I mean, he's basically our third co-host on NCR, Sasha Bubbles. I mean, he's just he's 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 wonderful. His game is wonderful. His just flippant attitude about everything and just being super chill and also just being one of those challengers guys. You know, who knows everybody, who doesn't take things too seriously because, for you know, a lot of times, obviously, the stakes are big for regardless of level of event for every player. But mm-hmm. you just get the sense with Sasha Bubbles that he's a professional tennis player. That is his job. You know, like he go he yeah. makes money playing tennis, which is so different than what we conceptualize for the stars of the sport who like they're playing for prestige and legacy. And I mean, Sasha Bubbles making a living. We've used like, this phrase before on the podcast. When you talk about prof- when you, the way you use professional there was about right. his ability to clock in and out. Right. Yes. Like he does not tie his self-worth up in whether or not he beats Taylor Fritz in the fourth round. Yeah. He did. He doesn't care. In this case, but he did. It does not. But like, it does not. Yeah. You know, he can get his butt handed to him by, 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 you know, Sinner 
and be and 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 be like, what the fuck, man? Like, what are you, fifteen years old? What the hell? You like, you know, like all that and and ribs. That Sinner, exchange and Sinner was very did, cute. Sinner doesn't cute. know what to do. Like, he's just like, uh, you know, because there, it's a different type of attitude, you know, when yeah. you to to you know, and so it's great to see Bubbles having a great twenty twenty one. Um, and the more as NCR has known for many a time. If you get a chance to put the bubbles on the mic, you put the bubbles on the mic. Absolutely. Very good audition for him. Filling yeah. some, like, space. It's been, not to bring this on a more sad note, like, we haven't, like, Ernest Golbus has not been around very much. Like, the sport mm. has lost a Ooh, few. Ooh, Bubbles is a Golbus. He's kind of Golbus-esque in some ways. Yeah. He's a little not more. Not as serious. He's, a little, he's, he's way a more, more Not as serious. And he's not, like, as, like, learned. <laughs> but, you know, he's, uh, but he's still, like, uh, he's still, like, a, a sharp, like, guy who does not care who will like happily go against the current. Like his answer on like PTPA was like notably not what any other guys were saying. Um, <laughs> just cause it, it was just like, it just like was not like it was either like ATP talking points either or whatever, but it was just sort of like, I don't know. I don't know. Just like in this way that in a way that was better than the minute sound, I think, or at least more compelling, at least the noise I just made would imply. And the well, other the guy point wa- is that yeah. I think that just last thing on bubbles, my point okay. about the whole professional thing is that this is a guy. And again, you see it in the PTPA answer of like happy to be there yeah like that dude ain't losing sleep about what the ptpa's bylaws are or what why 30 players out of the top 100 are not there or why what the bubble protocol like he's not sitting there complaining like he's just like yo i'm here i'm I'm here to do a job Mm -hmm. to the best of my ability on that given day and then I move on with my life and it's fine. Like, you know, I find it to be a breath of fresh air. And yes, Sasha Bubbles. Big ups. The other sort of person who was another quarter finalist in Miami who I wanted to talk about briefly, I don't think we've talked about really ever on the show before, is uh, Sebastian Corda, who I think who was I watched more of during this term than I think I probably ever seen. Kid him is good. He is like he is so good and like so like seems so ready. And yes. there's there's a stat uh, for the first time because Isner was defending final points and some of them stayed on, but a lot of them dropped. So Isner is no longer American number one. New American number one currently is Taylor Fritz, who I haven't looked at the rankings, but I think Fritz is ranked like 28 or 29 right now, which is one of the lowest bars there's ever been or lowest, lowest peaks for lowest rungs, whatever, for the American number one. People understand what I mean. Lowest of the American men's number one has ever been. I remember when it was news. 10, 11 years ago when there was a first week without American man in the top 10. Yeah, I and remember now, that. Now it was a big week. there's barely anybody in the top 30. Um, all that is to say, I think in terms of like, again, to use the power rankings phrase, Corda is like the guy for me right now yeah. in American men's tennis. He's like, he looks so complete. He looks so ready. He's like clearly making up for some lost time in terms of pandemic or whatever. Very solidly in top 100 now. He had a tough draw that he worked his way through really compellingly he beat fanini in his uh he beat well radu albert um and then he beat fanini in his first match against the seed number 10 fanini in three destroyed karatsev who was like the guy and then beat uh diego schwartzman in like a tough three setter before losing in competitive uh two sets uh five and six to rublev so like he's really good he looks like such a complete player Schwartzman was repeatedly comparing him to Burditch, which I think actually it's a pretty apt comparison, but clean, seems to be clean strokes. Very clean striker. Maybe not quite as impactful of a serve as Burditch had at his peak. Um, he could probably weaponize that a little bit more. 
um, a better mover probably than Burditch or a more natural mover. And just like his, his like court IQ is really, really high. Um, he just like constructs points well, competes really well. Again, like those matches against like, like Schwartzman, it's like a, it's like a tough, tough out to get when you're Schwartzman breaks all the time and stuff. So like, it's a, uh, those were really impressive matches and just like, yeah, it seems to have a good head on his shoulders and obviously comes from a family that knows its way around sporting success. And so just like, he's absolutely someone to be buying major stock in. I had not seen Corda hit a tennis ball until Miami. And Mm -hmm. part of that was a little bit, not intentional, like I was going out of my way, but, but there was a part of me that was very resistant and very cautious when it came to him because it just felt like so much of his hype was narrative related. Mm-hmm. And again, because I hadn't seen him play, but it was like, oh, okay, so you're the son of Peter Corda and your sisters are, LG- are great LPGA players. And oh, you guys have cute interactions on- Mom was WTA uh, top 30 too. Yeah, mom was WTA top 30. And oh, here are and photos of, of uh, Sebi and his sisters doing the Peter Corda jump. Like it all just felt like it was like cute in a fun story and easy because he was an American Very to get excited story. about too easy a story, yeah. a little too easy of a story where I was like, Oh, like my instinct was, Oh, you're just hyping this because there's so many hooks that, that work, you know? So I didn't see him play until Miami. And I, but I watched him against, um, um, Schwartzman, I guess, I guess would, would have been the first time that I watched him, um, in the tournament. And I was absolutely floored absolutely blown away i think that like our i was blowing up our group chat because i was just like yo like semi corda good at tennis like <laughs> i did not expect this um just so clean so balanced um that backhand up the line like so effortless yeah i was just totally blown away and impressed um absolutely ready for him to become you know probably sooner than than later american number one and and to really be that guy. I mean, you just nothing about his game seemed everything about his game um felt like and well, the deficiencies that if you there were any that you saw in Corda's game were just ones that had to do with physicality and experience. It had nothing right. to do with like you're just like you don't know how to do that or like you you know, everything was so technically perfect. Tennis IQ's great. He'll just get stronger, just get faster, just become more experienced so much to like there i was like genuinely floored and truly like i was like i i I will tune into this kid's matches like i will watch him play tennis it seems really cool he's part of the sizable czech american contingent that's been coming up in tennis uh, kayla day was the fir- first wave of it she's results have not really panned out for kayla day but now corda um nicole no, martin, da- martin dam jr who's another good who's like super tall like a lot of natural gifts is in court as sort of age group roughly i'm not sure actually what he's doing at the pros i haven't heard of him since his junior days but another another notably son of a czech atp player who's now playing for the u.s um yeah melikar was the other one i was going to mention too um who was born in czech republic i believe and um yeah so yeah his his tennis i was all starting to say there i got sidetracked for myself um, his tennis does not look like typical American men's tennis. Like it has some of the characteristics, like some of the like the power and the aggression look. American. He has a like backhand. You can tell he's played on hard courts, but he has a backhand. That's that might even patriotic. be better than his forehand. I mean, the other American guys, just sort of, I was sort of dumping on them by saying, you know, not, barely top thirty. Their American guys are 
are doing, and obviously it's a tough, this goes same as everybody. I think Sloan talked about this today in Charleston. I was hearing from you. It's a tough time for everybody right now. It's not the t- best time to be, you know, harshly judging anyone right now, but the sort of trajectories for that group um, that was considered of that, that was considered a really strong junior group, which is your Fritz, Tiafo, Riley Opelka and Tommy Paul were all sort of in the same age range. They're not like making the next steps. They're getting into being top 50 players or actually none of Paul is top 50 at the moment or ever been top 50 actually, but they're getting towards there. going to be at least out in a bunch of draws and stuff, but not really making breakthroughs and big wins. And it does feel like Corda is at a velocity right now where he's going to move past them. And like you said, being number American number one soon seems likely again, the rankings are molasses. So who knows how long that'll actually take sure, to move yeah. past them. But yeah, his, his just seems to be on a different different arc than those guys tfo had a good tournament though yeah he did actually have a really good tournament he made fourth round um he beat uh dan evans and lajevich and stefano travaglia all those were three set wins respectable four and three to uh, medvedev yeah good tournament for uh for francis Big foe. yeah no yeah. it's good yeah opelka's been the one actually who i would single out saying like kind of and he's obviously had a tough time with medvedev too he's clearly like people see on social media too like he's finding things tough right now in a way that I totally understand respect and give uh space for but he's someone who I thought would like come on stronger and be get, like pushing towards like top 20 around now had mm. there not been the pandemic um and there has been a pandemic so you know that's the there's the there's the breaks he lost the yeah, first match like four and two to popper in which is sort of a non-great result for Apalka. anyway uh that's that's Miami and and the tours um do you want to say anything, Courtney? We, we they talked about this on other shows. It's been talked about a bunch. Of it happened more than two about two weeks ago now. Vashik Pospisil in the first round of Miami had a match, um, which he played. Uh, although he wasn't sure why he was playing, he said at some point in the match uh, he was playing against Mackie McDonald and lost the first set and had a lot of feelings come out about uh, which I played the clip of in the episode I did with uh, David Yaffe Bellany, who wrote an article uh, for. Bloomberg Business Week about um, all the backstage struggles in men's tennis, mostly men's tennis, where all the sort of current hubbub event. It was just it was just a really really unique moment of because so many times when I've even you know editors I've worked with who really do know and care about tennis, when I try to pitch like backroomy stories or stories about Gimmel Stub stuff or whatever the player council things are like, does anyone care? Like this doesn't really like affect stuff. Like it's very like inside baseball in the weeds. It was just the first time ever I could think of like backroom stuff like legitimately happening like mid match on court like a monologue about it and all these feelings coming out and all this like yeah, just a lot of feelings <laughs> really it was a whole lot of feelings yeah what 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 do you make of that uh that moment whatever you want to say about it I mean caveat being I mean I'll just say it straight up like I'm not gonna say very much about it yeah um given that I am employed by the WTA. Uh, you don't have to say anything I think, <laughs> no I mean I, I I'm just I, obviously a tough moment for Pospisil but at the same time it the part of it that was um, especially in you know the days afterwards with all the players rallying to his uh, defense and support on Twitter and you know, and just in general, just the way that the incident went down and how it was perceived, I guess, is, is kind of the angle that I'm going to come at it with. Mm-hmm. Um, 
yeah, it was really hard for me not to watch all that and to see all the reaction and be like, <laughs> if that was a WTA player, this would not be the reaction. Yeah. That's that, 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 I... that bothered me a lot. Not bothered me, but that was one of the big things that I was left thinking about, like thinking about, you know, Serena, you know, at the uh, 2018 US Open um, and and having, you know, that moment with with Carlos and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, how she was vilified in a lot of ways, like and, and criticized and, oh, women are too emotional. Oh, this, this and that. And then to see that happen and everybody be like, well, you, you know. He's having he's having he's, a hard he's been time going through a lot. He's, he's it, been... you know he got he he got yelled at. Well, it's... okay, sure, and like again, I'm not gonna like I'm not gonna like say that he shouldn't feel the way that he. I mean, your feelings are valid because you feel them, but I'm just saying the reaction to it was not the same, and that I'll bothered say, me. Yeah, this not the, because about... he should be vilified for it. Like I'm not saying the reaction should be the same as how people react to the women. I'm saying that like oh, maybe people could be a little bit more graceful and thoughtful when they talk about the women. And honestly, some of those players who were rallying to the support of Pospisil had very strong feelings about what what Serena did at the U.S. Open and how she's conducted herself in the past. So, you know, a little, I, little eyebrow raise on my part with respect to that. But that's as far as I will go in my thoughts noted, on the thing. Noted but my, I'm, my sure, I'm sure that you have, you have much more interesting thoughts on the whole shebang well first i'll me. say like th that point this sort of sociological point i totally buy the, the body Surf podcast i listened to earlier today their most recent one they, they talked about this and and jonathan made the same sort of point like how different would it benefit was a woman and how when men express emotion especially like anger it's seen as sort of like righteous or like valid or sort of aggressive in this way that's seen as like fitting with with masculinity but i thought the whole sort of moment and it goes completely and it, it's it's bad for ptpa and that it completely distracts from like the sort of topic i don't think it some people are like it raises awareness for ptpa it's like no, that's not what happened here at all that's that's just not the spin that's doable no sir nor ma'am um what just like <laughs> i was thinking in any job if you were on camera or on mic or on recording like talking that way about the the CEO of your company of your employer, like you don't have that job <laughs> anymore. The stakes would be very real, and yeah, and like the the response from the so that's one part. I mean, it it fits into this long thing. This is again sociological that I've been starting to start to work on. ATP hashtag ATP suspend a white guy challenge. Like there's just so many options for atrocious behavior lately among the Caucasian rank and file of the ATP players going from Benoit Pair tanking every match he plays and spitting on things and just being gross and just not a value add to put it lightly for the sport. Whatever the heck Jameer, Jum Jameer Jumer was doing in that match in uh, Acapulco where he was like threatening the chair empire. And you look like you haven't seen that. That's a mess. Don't, I'll show you the, the Jumer clip. It is, it is, it is like how he's still in the sport or how he didn't get anything and still playing draws. It's a joke. Um, and then go to like things like Sam Query not getting suspended for the whole private plane situation, lack no investigations or interest from the tour and Basil Shvili or some others with abuse. Like <sighs> there's lots of opportunities for the ATP to suspend a white guy, and they haven't done it. So I'm just pick pick your pick. But yeah, but the the 
yeah, any other job talking that way about your CEO <laughs> would just have consequences that it has not had. And it's then, just like, wild and, and then, because it just I'm just going to interject right now yeah. because we were all there uh, in Cincinnati 2019 on the court with with Kyrgios and everything that happened there and how much yeah. he was fined. And, and he got suspended months later for that. Incident. Yeah, yeah. And, and even incidents before that, it's it's hard for me to look at other things and be like, these are lesser than that. Like these are more, these make tennis look better than what Nick did. As I said, that's a little said, wild to me. As I said, ATP suspend a white guy challenge. As far looking back through my memory of ATP suspensions for conduct, it was Kyrios. And then before that it was Kyrios. And I can't think of any others. Like, and there's just, there's just more misconduct than that. And Did just, Medvedev like, just, ever get anything with the coin thing or no at no, Wimbledon? No, no. And that was also Grand Slam. And so like there've been there've oh, been there've yeah. been stronger punishments for things like Fanini got defaulted from the US Open, like for what he said from doubles, but still got defaulted. So like there have been discipline moments at Grand Slams, but not at the uh and obviously Djokovic got defaulted for for the line judge thing at the US Open last time. But at the at the tour level, again, this is why my sort of backdoor argument, which I, which I make now for the idea of unionizing the men's players, is that so if they were in, in an adversarial group, they could actually get suspended. <laughs> like if the ATP is trying to have it both ways, it is feeling ham, ham, to, you know, what, what, not, not, what's the word, hogtied or whatever the thing is. I don't know. Feeling not able to, to discipline players who are trying to represent them too. Like maybe if they had a more official adversarial, then there'd be more accountability. That's one thought I've had anyway. Um, what was I going to say? About, oh, and then like, yeah, the I, response, the, the, the hashtag stuff, the hashtag players voice things, those tweets, remember those tweets were incoherent. They made no sense. If you just came to those tweets and were trying to figure out what the heck happened, you would have no idea. The communications, basically at this point with nothing to show for itself, PTPA is not an organization, it's a hashtag movement and the hashtags aren't even good. So I think that again i think there's a lot of validity to the ideas of player organizations or whatever but like they just have nothing to show for after seven months and really could use some professional help in lots of ways <laughs> those are my thoughts i knew i'd have more to add it because you, you didn't want to say anything but there you go that's uh <laughs> that's that's my thoughts i just i just and I again just I, I, I still i still think they're Potentially their principles are valid, but they're just, they're, they're, they're not helping themselves. I do wonder with the idea of a player association, mm -hmm. I'd be, I'd be super curious to know whether or not it's been kind of what the sense is or whether it's been discussed or whether it's been hashed out the idea of like uniform discipline and uniform rules and uniform protocols that are like strict enforcement. No, which would be great. I mean, like, you know, like no, um, all that stuff would be collectively bargained discretion. It would be collectively bargained. Yeah. And that would be, that would be it though. Is that like, if you do X, then it would trigger automatically X discipline because now it is, once you go into an association style situation, it is more adversarial. Right. I mean like mm -hmm. that, then, and which is the whole point. Um, yeah of it uh but it cuts both ways that's what i'm like saying it, i'm like i'm like now doing that sort of like, i'm curious yeah obviously the we deserve to get suspended more is not one of the player arguments for gutting an association at all but it's something that i see as sort of being like and i think of, i think of it as being sort of an inevitable knock-on you know effect if it does happen like 
yeah, there's gonna be a different relationship. And I just see a complete lack of discipline right now. I'm going to send you that Joomer clip afterwards. You're going to be like, what? It's, it's wild. Um, <laughs> okay. But yeah. Uh, anyway. Yeah. He, yeah. I, I don't know. I'll find a link for it anyway. Um, thank you for coming on the show again, Courtney. We have it's been a blast. This is, this is episode 299. Um, we'll think of something real special for 300. If it is, our, I'm not sure the next episode, it might be like, you know, none if we're stalling, but we should do something. Our 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 we centennial should. episodes have been have been have been good. There was uh the for obviously episode one hundred was a big old production, like it was. Golbis and Yankovic and Pekovic all on it. That was oh big. my goodness, it was big. The and light, then, the joy, the Golbis, and then two hundred, I believe, was the first time we had Carrillo on. Ooh, so that was also big. Interesting. Okay, we're gonna so we'll we're gonna have we'll, to brainstorm. We'll, we'll, we'll brainstorm. We'll do something nice. Yeah, we'll get ourselves sure. something pretty. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, we're also gonna do. I've mentioned this before on the show, but we're gonna do a mailbag episode. We've gotten lots of good questions on our Patreon. This will be a Patreon only episode that we're gonna record. Probably something. I'm this looking week. forward to it. The questions have been great. Questions have been really good. Um, yeah. So if you are a Patreon backer, you can send us either a message on Patreon or just put a comment in the post there, and you would have gotten an email too. Uh, if you want to join our Patreon, you can do so. Uh, patreon.com slash no challenges remaining is where you can find us there and back us for any level and you get access to the patreon exclusive content which is you know around 10 episodes now and some vi- videos of codename stuff speaking of the body surf boys there it can be as little as opponents. just buying us a cup of coffee a month yeah exactly five bucks or three yeah, there's a three level or three too. Yeah. yeah you know um it's all good we thank we thank our patreon backers uh who are the slam champ and above level every episode and they are Susanna W., Sean Mulroy, Mary Carrillo, Leah Williams, Liz Kennel, Jonathan Weinbaum, Jean Simeon, James Hindle, Audrey Wellens, Antonio Maycumber, and Anna Valinder. And our GOAT backers, Mike Nicole Copeland, Chris Bishop, Pam Shriver, and J.O.D. Um, yeah, again, if you want to join them for and then get the next episode of our mailbag show and send questions, uh, patreon.com slash no challenges remaining. Also, if you're a Patreon backer, you can email us questions too. To our email if that's easier, no challenges remaining at gmail.com. But we'll try to cross list with the Patreon people to make sure that they're coming from the uh, people who've gotten that perk. Speaking of perks, Courtney, what's what's perking you up in life these days? What's uh making you feel things or 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 not things? Speaking of perks, you're gonna get a uh perking or perking yeah. in your arm soon. I'm excited. Got my for jab that for you. coming, yeah, for sure. No, I'm very, very pleased with that. No, in, in terms of the things that have made me happy the last uh, you know, two or three or four weeks. Uh, my parents are both vaccinated fully, yeah. got their second shots last week, and literally within 24 hours, hopped in their car and went on a road trip. Love it. That's like they, they're out camping somewhere. And it's it's great because I don't have to worry about them uh, contracting COVID, but I do have to worry about them getting their their butts handed to them by a bunch of racists. So, That's not good. you know, it's good times. It's good times. Fun conversations to have with your family. So, you know, you win some, you lose some. Uh, but yes, uh, I have my Vax appointment on Thursday. So I'm looking forward to that. Very excited about it. But otherwise, I will. I, I Instead of my kind of rant rave, I'm going to tell my Sarah Cerebus Tor- Tormo story oh, really please. quickly. Yes, yeah, sure. Um, so, style. sure. Yeah, so, so uh, SST 
didn't know very much about her, but towards the end of last year, saw that her ranking had gone up, um, had seen a, a handful of her matches before then, but also she had that great run in Ostrava, uh, making the quarterfinals, mm-hmm. um, tallying some good wins, finished off the year well. And then she did really well in Abu Dhabi as well. I think made quarterfinals there, beat Podoroska first round, some good wins. So it's it's Melbourne. Uh, players are in quarantine and and during that time either soft or hard and during that time I was like you know doing a lot of interviews with players and I was like hey I should probably do a feature on on Strebus Tormo because I don't know much about her but her ranking is going up so I should probably sort that out so hop on the phone with her for about 20 minutes from her hotel room and I was being very um upbeat very positive, kind of be like, wow, you've been playing amazing. You know, you're the last person to beat Osaka. You made quarterfinals in Ostrava, mm-hmm. Abu Dhabi. This is great. What's been the key to your, you know, and and she was, she answered my questions, but I could kind of tell there was a little bit of um, hesitancy or confusion or um, that wasn't like language related. She speaks great English, um, Sriba Stormo. Uh, but yeah, just a vibe where I hung up the phone and I was like, I'm not convinced that went well. Like, I just don't know if like she was buying what I, I don't know. The vibe was just off. So I was going to do that story in a, ahead of um, uh, the Australian Open. She crashes out, I think, first round of AO. Interesting SST fact. Uh, Miami was the first tournament at the Grand Slam or 1000 level where she's gotten past the second round. Mm, So that sounds right. That's pretty crazy. But anyway, so all that happens, nothing, blah, blah, blah. She wins Guadalajara. I hop on the phone after she wins and I'm asking my first question and she interrupts me and she's like, you interview, you, you talk to me in Melbourne. And I was like, yes. She's like, Oh my gosh. She's like, after we talked, I hump the phone and I turned to my coach and I said, yeah, like I just did this interview and, and and she said this, this and this about how well I'm playing and, you know, my potential for the season. Da, da, da. And I told that to my coach and my coach was like, yeah, she's right. And, and, and Sarah was like, I didn't like believe you. Like I didn't, I huh. didn't, the whole time we were talking, like it was almost like she thought that I was like trolling her or something. Like, and I, I told her, I was like, yeah, when I hung up, I, re- I really thought that like you just didn't. Yeah, you didn't enjoy the interview or like whatever. But anyways, so she was incredibly magnanimous, like in Guadalajara. She's like, oh, my gosh, thank you so much. Like that interview, I've thought about it like the last few months, like ever since, like, you know, because it was so like da da da. And then Guadalajara. And so she was like very happy and she did that whole thing. And then I I wrote the a big, long feature on her, not expecting her to do what she did in in Miami. But it, the timing worked out. Uh, and so when I hopped into like a, her press conference in Miami after she uh, before she was going to play Andrescu, um, I like hopped on and she like saw me. She's like, she's like, hey, like she, I was like, oh, you knew you were going to do you were going to make this uh, this run. Right. She's like, absolutely not. But you knew I was like, absolutely. I knew. Um, <laughs> but anyways, all that is just to say not, it has nothing to do with like I'm not sitting here trying to toot my own horn, but just like she's a really nice person. And like you can tell, like you know, she's best friends with Marie Boskova. Um, she's she... that was a cute moment when Boskova came on. Yeah, I don't know if you saw after, the thing yeah. today, like where Boskova got the she find, she got her uh, physical Karen Kransky sportsmanship Karen award, award yeah. and she posted a photo of it on uh, Instagram, and um, and Srivas Tormo commented and said, um, 
they should give you this award every year until you retire or something like that. Oh. Like just the mutual admiration. And we love Bojkova. She's just absolute sunshine in a human being. Um, but yeah. Takes a lot to beat Petra for that award. That's this the is the thing. Award. And for so like that's Petra big... to be like cool with it. Like everybody's just like, oh no, yeah, Bojkova is yeah. awesome. Like, <laughs> like literally all the players are like, yeah. she's unbelievable. Like such a nice person. Um, but all that is to say, like I know that, that Sariva's Tormo because of the, the her style of game, because of the grunting, whatever it is, like... I know that she rubs people the wrong way a little bit sometimes, mm -hmm. but I just wanted to kind of say, like, she is incredibly nice, like, very professional. If you go through her Instagram, she's friends with everyone. Like, you'll you'll be scrolling and she'll be like, here I am at the US Open with my best friend, Maria Sakari. And you're like, oh, I didn't know you guys knew each other. Uh, Ons Jabor <laughs> loves her. Like, it, she's, she's good yeah. people and very nice. And she busts her butt. And she's incredibly humble. Like, she is like, like she said, I think in my interview with her, like she, I was like, oh, did you have idols growing up? And she's like, David Ferrer. Like she interrupted me. She's like, David Ferrer. And I was like, oh yeah, I could see that, you know? you know. And she kind of like scoffed a little bit. And I was like, no, but like in kind of the way that you play your tennis, you know, very physical, very, you know, never give up. And she's like, oh, one day maybe. Like, you know, and, and she's just, she doesn't believe that she's, as good as her ranking is we, so i just want to i'm we, just this we, is my pitch for sst she's good people like if you don't like the way that she plays her tennis or that style of game fair enough but like she's good people so just throwing that out we there you have no choice but to stand a humble queen this is our you know there you th go. these are our people ben these are our people <laughs> there you go. um my two things i finished um, well, a late 2019. I've been working on catching up on Oscar movies for just general Oscar purposes, and also I know we're going to talk about a bunch sure. of them on when we do record the show. And I still haven't gotten as many as I want, but I got a few more, which is good. Um, I finished watching the 2019 set or the 2020 Oscar show, the 2019 films of the all the international nominees for a national feature, which had been sort of a goal of mine. I've watched all five of those now. Um, so you watched Les Misérables? Really... What did you think of Les Misérables? I liked um, it. Did you see I it? I did. I didn't love it. I don't think it's your yeah. vibe. I don't think no, it's. It I, wasn't I, for I don't me. think it's your thing. But I saw it. I saw it in theaters actually, which oh, I think maybe okay. helped. And that was fun. It was like you're briefly showing. I know. Obviously, I'm sure you felt all sorts of ways about it being picked over a portrait of a lady on fire by the there French. There uh, are issues folks. to that decision, <laughs> but whatever. No, it was so, fine. It just yeah. I think that probably you're right. Like it, I my opinion. It's intense. That movie is intense. Yeah. For people who don't know, Les Misérables. It's not Les Misérables by Victor Hugo. It's a French no, it's film, not. modern French film. Yeah, called Les Misérables. That bad title, choice. terrible it's just title choice. Um, but the controversy surrounding it, at least for me, the controversy that I have with it <laughs> is that um, to be nominated for an international or foreign language film Oscar, it's it's not like a free for all. Basically, it's almost as if in tennis, it's almost like each federation picks one player and gives right. them the wild card in. So the French. Uh, cinema whatever it is whatever is their 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 feder films federation uh chose yeah. les miserables ahead of portrait of a lady on fire much to not just my chagrin but celine scalma's um chagrin as well uh the director of portrait portrait of a lady on fire actually I, I heard an interview with her on on with uh on big picture um with and i don't usually listen to interviews on that i listened to a lot of it last year but anyway um, she was saying like the film was not all that well received in France. No. Portrait Laid on Fire. It did not do very well in France. So it's not surprising knowing that they didn't get the pick. 
but uh, yeah, obviously it was beloved uh, internationally, especially all, largely in the U.S. too. Um, anyway, all I have to Sorry. say, Sorry for great. hijacking. Was, no, 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 no. That's why you feel free to hijack. It's fine. But it's just like I, you know, I just think portraits really winning, good. Go ahead. <laughs> especially after Parasite winning and stuff, like I think that you know, I think that it was a really strong group of movies. The 2019 Best Picture nominees, really good group in in the right in the main sort of field. Um, but international is also just really solid. Um, last one I saw was Corpus Christi, which is not my favorite of the group, but interesting. Um, anyway, and I saw the front runner for this year's uh, international field, which is Another Round, uh, which is a Danish movie starring Mads Mikkelsen. Oh, I haven't uh, seen it very, yet. It's on Hulu. Yeah, it's, um, yeah. it's on Hulu. I just it's, see it's the, very... the the memes of Mads just drinking, which is great. yeah. So it's a movie. It's a movie about drinking in a way that's like I never. I'm, it's very much about drinking in a way that's like. Uh, such a part of human life, but never actually like the focus of things mm. like so intentionally. So it's interesting sort of meditation on drinking in society and all sorts of stuff. And it goes, it's very, it's, in that way it feels sort of like obvious, but it also feels like totally creative. New and, and interesting. And, and yeah. new and different in a way that, I, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Nice. Uh, or not, not always fun, but like it was like a very worthy way to spend two hours or whatever watching a movie. So that's one thing. Second thing I've been doing a ton. My thing that's been keeping me sane during quarantine during the last year, mostly has been doing all these sorts of trivia stuff that I've been doing. And that's one been your the, critical role. That's in my critical role, exactly. And one of the league things, I mean, I'll put, I'll post about this somewhere if people are interested or feel free to message me if you're interested, is having like sort of an open house or like a demo week for like to recruit new people or new teams or whatever. If you're interested, I think it's on February, it's not, no, on April, the Saturday. It's like April 17th, I think, or 18th. I'll double check this. It's on that weekend. They're doing like a sort of come on, come all, come see how it works uh, thing. And hopefully if, if anyone out there is trivia minded, they check it out because it's been uh, a lot of fun. And you meet a lot of other like minded uh, nerd people who are it's a, it's a, it, again, tennis is like a, it's like a very unique tribe. And this is a different different sort of tribe um, with lots of interesting characters. So, um, yeah, speaking of critical role, I've been talk I was talking to somebody the other day about how like how it would work to get it packaged in a similar way to Critical Role or just a way that I do think there's like a lot of space for it to become like a cult hit similarly. Yeah. It done no, correctly. It... And it would just take a I would definitely sort of watch producers. serialized like trivia, like long form, you know, ongoing trivia campaigns. Like if yeah. you could if if that would a way to kind of package it, for sure. For sure. You just need to have you would need to have you need to do something that had Something where people got to know the the players, yeah. which is it's such a huge part of critical role, from my understanding of it. Yeah, for sure. Consistent casting and getting to know the personalities, and, and just understanding everything. that like these 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 um these niches exist. Like I mm -hmm. have, <laughs> I have like what like thirty thousand followers on Twitter on my personal Twitter. When mm -hmm. I tweet about critical role, literally two people know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Okay, which is and, always your goal. <laughs> which is always my goal. That's why I tweet about Critical Role a lot. But the thing about it is that Critical Role is massive. Okay, it's it's, there it's was, a massive I, there was a, thing. There, there was a quad of questions in one of my trivia leagues about Critical Role. Yeah, like it's reached that level where it's getting asked about and stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean like you know their YouTube, you know their 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 episodes. Millions of people watch each episode, whether on Twitch or YouTube. And, you know, it's, it's led to option, you know, optioning a, a TV show, all these sorts of things. But like, so you have this thing that is a very niche. It's D&D. &D. It's the same, you know, six or seven people playing D&D &D every week, Dungeons and Dragons. 
um, over multi-year campaigns, although the second campaign, I think, is, is coming to an end. They're in the home stretch, and it's really stressing me out. Um, so there could be a third campaign that starts this year, which would be a great way to jump in because it would be the, a brand new campaign. But uh, yeah, so it's this thing that is immensely popular, immensely. And yet, like, again, like 30,000 isn't a ton, but I have a lot of followers who, like, are pretty dorky. And like literally, I know by name the two people. Well, the two people and Steph, the three people mm-hmm. who like know what I'm talking about when I tweet about Critical Role. So like there is, there are these 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 niches that you can fill that are completely outside of 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 what um, you know you, yeah, what you think are popular things, you know. So because the Critical Role mm-hmm. thing, it's a whole underground thing that is, yeah, it's massive. Most people don't know. Right. It's one of those things, like, again, not unlike tennis in some ways, where probably most of, like, the people who were, like, your close friends in, I don't know, high school, odds are they're not as devoted to tennis as you are if you're listening to this podcast this late into it. You know, like, it's sort of something where, especially being online, like, you, you know, find your your tribe for it. Yeah. And that's that's something that can be very, very powerful uh, in a good way. Obviously, online tribalism has only bad sides. But, like, the idea of, like, finding like-minded people with interests that are, like, niche or nerdy or whatever it may be um, who you can just vibe with and, and be in a sort of, like... There's a reason why yeah. geeks and dweebs invented the internet. Yeah. Like, the, bro- the, bros, yes. the bros might have, like, and, you know, the toxic side of the geek fandom uh, might be ruining the internet. But mm-hmm. there's a reason why, like, yeah, like, fandoms standing all of these sorts of things like you know armies it, fanfic fanfic yeah. all of it it's because like everyone's allowed to have their interests and then you just find some other somebody else that's like into what you're into and it's there's nothing like being seen man it it it's so empowering and liberating so yeah i was, just, I was listening to the last culture racist podcast which is yes. podcast yeah, yeah. recently um, did you watch did guest- you listen to the britney one Yes, 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 I did. Yeah. I haven't listened to it yet. My sister just texted me about it today. And she was like, I just listened to Les Culturistas on Britney. I have never felt more seen in my entire life. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, I gotta listen to yes. this. So that was very that was very even though they're like younger than me, um, and your sister, they're like, yeah, still similar sorts of stuff from from them. Anyway, they had a guest on there, Rose Damu Damu, Damu, um, who's like a critic, pop culture person, whatever, and she was talking about her like they always ask like what was your like for their guests they ask like what was your like formative moment of like we were like culture is for me and hers was interesting it was about um being like finding like fanfic and finding that people could like still love something and care about something after the show had ended like it was okay mm-hmm. to be so into the X Files he's a very common example X Files is for me as well that was yep. like that was like it was okay to like still be in this world and get like into it and care about it and want to create more for it beyond just the scope of the hour it was on Fox every week, you know? And so like, and hers was more expansive about like, it wasn't, she didn't use X-Files as her example, but it was something like that where it was just sort of like, I thought that was a sort of cool thing. And that's for tennis too. Like I think, you know, tennis fandom, there's a certain level of it where you're not just playing it, you know, or just watching it, but it's also sort of like occupying more internet time for you, whatever that may be, whether it's on Twitter or whether it's on, message boards or, or fanfic there is tennis fanfic too so um yeah yeah no i mean i think that we talked about this when we had carillo on the show about how you know from a tennis fan perspective she's so meaningful i think to you and i in particular because she brought the humor 
to mm-hmm. yes. tennis that she kind of authorized just watching her in broadcast. Oh, we can laugh about this. We don't have to speak about tennis in super reverential forms. And that, I mean, we are the children of Mary Carrillo in that way. I mean, 40 Deuce was entirely that was like, let's just fucking make jokes, guys. Like, it's just tennis. Like, everybody calm down. And if people were so serious, like, it was like, then don't come to my blog. Like, this is not that zone. And, you know, whether it was daily forehand or your tweets or, you know, whatever, it's like, let's have a good time. And the NCR and just the way that, that we, that we see the sport is just like, we know, ne- we very rarely discuss it in hushed, you know, tones of the, the church of center court. It's a Respect- court. <laughs> respectful of it, but certainly not, not often like traditionally reverent, definitely irreverent. Yeah. Irreverent. Is, Irreverent yeah. is the main way to way to describe it. I'm yeah. now wondering if there's NCR fanfic, and I doubt there is, but I'm just the Jesus. To me. No, no, but was... yeah, no. My my culture <laughs> moment would have definitely been like not X Files fanfic necessarily, but like discovering the X Files Usenet group mm, mm-hmm. was revelatory. That was like yeah. both the power of the internet, um, fandom culture all these sorts of things like rolled into a singular thing of like, oh my gosh, I love this thing so much. And now there are people who love it in the same way that I love it. Like, you know, like where you spend six days thinking about everything until the next episode and wanting to dissect everything. Like, you know, yeah, the children don't know. It used to not be that way. (laughs) This stuff was not at your fingertips. And also just that it like became like, not cool necessarily, but like accepted to be so earnestly into something. It wasn't like you could find it wasn't like if you were like, I don't know, a nerd, let's say like no, at right. school who was like always talking about the X-Files or, you know, Scully no, or whatever. You got thrown like, into the the, the, into the trash the can for sure. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, but online you could find that it was like, yeah, okay, I appreciate it. But anyway, the, this but, has probably gone on. Yeah, sorry, go last point that I'll make because it goes back to Critical Role, but like growing up in because one of the things that i really like about critical role is that like that's my generation of people the the jokes that Mm -hmm. they make are gen x jokes like they're such stupid jokes but just their little asides and their little references like these are the cultural touchstones that i have as well but what's so great and what is so neat about critical role is that like you know if you grew up in the 80s like i did like if you play dungeons and dragons like you were you sucked like you got beat up and you were a i mean you were a dork like you know and even for me when you tell me about critical role i'm just like dungeon dragons i'm like "Uh -uh, no right exactly for me there's a reflection even for you even for ben even for ben that's a rubicon (laughs) it's a bridge too far um and you know and so to see now you know flash forward you know 30 years 25 30 years later and and to see it happen and to see the the community that it's built of fellow people across generations across countries um age groups whatever feel so earnestly about these characters and to treat them uh in the same way as any scripted television show that that we would watch that cool kids would think were cool now you know i'm stressing out about you know yeah, like an Asimar barbarian. And is she going to confess her love this week to the monk who like she who like totally crushes on her as well, but like they don't talk about it. But then like Yasha has like a really dark back. I care about it. And the okay. earnestness is not like as a kid from the 80s, earnestness was not like Gen X. Earnestness is not a thing. We are very dis- d- detached. You yeah. know, that's our that's our whole shtick. 
is like we don't give a shit about anything so yeah it's it's the internet kind of changed that to where it's like oh it was cool to be earnest again oh you have a yeah. you seem to have a question on your well, i'm just gonna say, i have a bunch <laughs> of things but i was just gonna say well two one quick question and then my other thought and then it's stop uh is <laughs> are there like normally romances in dungeons and dragons plot lines or is this just unique to critical role i don't remember there being like crushes in my well, very limited understanding of this game. well it's role well, but it's a, it's role playing Okay. So you can play your character however you want to play your character, okay. really. Um, so there was romance in the first. Main, I guess, yeah. Yeah, no, there were there was romance in the first campaign as well, of Critical Role, um, with Fox Machina, uh, with a few characters, but, um, <laughs> but in the the second campaign with the Mighty Nine, like it's a little bit more more overt, and it's cute because there are two um two of the cast members are married. They're both voice actors. Um, Laura Bailey and and Travis Willingham are married in real life. Um, and Travis is like this really big, like, um, uh, like he works out like a ton. Like he kind of is like, he's a jock, basically. Strapping. Um, but he's, strapping. Yeah, but he's like really into Dungeons and Dragons, like and always has been, I guess. But anyways, um, they finally, Laura finally got him to play romance in Critical Role this this year. And like there's a great episode, like probably I guess it's like 15 episodes ago, where he he and her character have a moment, uh, their first romantic moment. And it's a very funny moment because then like afterwards, like they go to break and Travis is just mortified. Like he hates it so much. And like um and the DM, uh, the dungeon master, like Matt, is just like, this is growth, buddy, not like of your character, but of you. Like we got <laughs> Travis to play romance. This is amazing. So yes, it's a little bit of a more of a critical role thing. But I mean, if you think back to the 80s, Dungeons and Dragons was bunch of dudes in a basement they're not gonna play like they're not gonna play romance in that era but now it's it's a little bit more of a thing i think but it just it depends on they did and it was beautiful and it was played by timothy chalamet and a cannibal (laughs) did you say cannibal (laughs) so alleged 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 i just my feelings about that film i'm feeling pretty good about them these days (laughs) And on that note, it's it's been a peach of a show, and we'll uh, hope you all stay tuned for the upcoming uh, episode three hundred, whatever that may be. And if we have something before that, very possibly uh, that you'll enjoy that on your feed too. Uh, until until then, bye guys. Ciao ciao. Like a feisty and no dying.